Al Jazeera podcast. A warning before we start. This episode contains content related to sexual abuse and suicide. Here's the show. For generations, the boys of Lone Oak, Arkansas, a small town of 4,000 people, have joined the Boy Scouts. It's where they could build a character and camaraderie through outdoor activities. You know, campfires, sing-alongs, the very image of wholesome American values. That carefully constructed image was ripped apart in 1997 when a former Boy Scout was convicted of killing his parents and sister. The killer, 20-year-old Heath Stocks, revealed he'd been sexually abused by the local scoutmaster, Jack Walls, and it haunted him. I can just remember my, my mind just me trying to go to another place and trying to escape the reality of what was going on. And one of the things he'd always told us, if you have a problem you can't solve it, you kill it. Heath's case was extreme, but his abuse was all too common in Lone Oak, where over the years, Jack Walls abused at least 100 kids. And it's not just Lone Oak. The Boy Scouts of America is part of the largest sexual abuse scandal in U.S. history. If you look at what perpetrators need and want to sexually abuse, the Boy Scouts of America literally presents every potential for accessing these kids, opportunities to molest them, and the leverage to get the kids to go along with it and to keep them quiet. So... Why was the organization home to so much abuse? And what do we know about what its officials knew? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The Boy Scouts of America filed for bankruptcy in February 2020 while facing sexual abuse lawsuits involving thousands of survivors. Over 80,000 people came forward, all claiming to have faced abuse during their time in the Scouts. By September 2022, as part of a settlement, the organization was ordered to pay out $2.4 billion to those victims. That was a shocking number. This would be the largest sexual abuse scandal in U.S. history. Josh Rushing is a senior correspondent for Al Jazeera's Fault Lines. He made the film Scoutmaster, a feature-length documentary. He's also a former scout himself. It wasn't just that so many men came forward. It was also the accusations that the Boy Scouts of America had known about this problem for decades and had repeatedly taken actions to protect the organization and the reputation rather than the boys in their charge. Josh went to Lone Oak to re-examine the 1997 murders and to learn about Heath Stocks. What I know about his childhood, I know from interviews with Heath and from uh, speaking to other members of his family, everyone seems to agree that his father, Joe, you could say he led the family with a stern hand. I mean, according to Heath, he was actually pretty abusive. Heath was a challenging child. He had ADHD, didn't been to school that well. So Joe turned to the Boy Scouts to try to help straighten him out. And not just the Boy Scouts, but this particularly charismatic Boy Scout leader in town named Jack Walls. And he ended up being particularly close to Jack. Jack was in charge of not just the Boy Scouts, the Eagle Scouts, but of this kind of elite fraternity of Boy Scouts called the Order of the Arrow, which Heath was a member of. 
So Heath went on to become an Eagle Scout, but then was eventually convicted of murdering his father Joe, his mother Barbara, and his sister Heather. And what was a really shocking series of events, he pled guilty to all three charges so he wouldn't have to face the death penalty. But what that also meant was that no one would hear his story in court about why he did these things. Why would an Eagle Scout kill his whole family? Josh tracked down Heath in prison and spoke to him over the phone to tell his side of the story. This is a free call from an inmate at Maximum Security Unit. Those calls, they, they could cut off after 30 minutes. And so he would call me back and call me back and call me back. For five straight hours, he called me back to tell me this story. And the story he told me was a horrific story of being raped for years by Jack Walls. I said that he'd been sexually molesting me. After years of abuse, Heath told the truth to his family. And then, he says, he told Jack that he told them. I don't know what caused the shift from confessing to them to confessing to him. Once Heath admitted it to his family, and he told Jack that he told his family. He says that Jack forced him into participating in the murders of his family to cover it up. It was the most angry I'd ever seen him. Very racial, very abusive verbally. He told me that I betrayed him. He said, you know, I caused this problem. I need to fix the problem. And one of the things he'd always told us, if you have a problem and you can't solve it, you kill it. But he didn't say that at the time of the conviction. At the conviction, he didn't say anything. He just pled guilty and went to prison so he didn't have to face the death penalty. But in doing that, it meant that no one would hear the story about the Jack Walls abuse. Jack Walls was considered a pillar of the community, leading its scouts for years after he returned from fighting in the Vietnam War. Jack's father was the local judge. He had aunts, uncles, former relatives that had served on the Arkansas Supreme Court that had served as a senator for the state. So in a small town of 4,000, there's a clear line here between the haves and the have-nots, and the walls were part of the haves. They were a very powerful family in the county. In the 1990s, the Lone Oak Chamber of Commerce picked him as their man of the year, and he became known in the town to many parents as someone they could turn to if their son needed guidance. Josh says he was a scoutmaster for 22 years and was involved in the scouts for even longer. One of the keys to understanding Jack's story was he had actually been accused of this years before. We went back and found that scout. His name was Doug Hogan. He was reluctant to be interviewed, but eventually agreed to sit down with us. So we had this camp out to get to know everyone. And we went out there that night. Now I'm going to 16 and I'm going as one of the leaders scouts. I'm going to be helping Jack with that. He offered alcohol to me at one point, wine. He did this several times that night, and he started telling boys to go to bed that night, which left me at the campfire with Jack. And Jack started the conversation off with who I was dating, how far we'd gone, what we'd done. But then it started taking a different tone. He came and laid down with his feet at my head and kept the conversation going, but kept it in a sexual tone. It, it bothered me. But when he put his hands on me, he reached for my belt and started trying to unbuckle my pants. 
he actually wasn't molested. He stopped Jack that night and took him to criminal court over it. Not only did he lose the criminal case because Jack's family was so prominent, they were able to bring in, you know, all these local politicians to talk about how great Jack was. And they made uh, Doug Hogan seem as if, uh, you know, in Doug's words, that he was the pervert. His family was really kind of shamed. Everyone made Jack look like a saint. And he won that case. But there was also a civil case. And in that one, the Boy Scouts of America came in, settled with Doug Hogan, and made him sign a non-disclosure agreement, which meant that no one could know what had happened. The non-disclosure agreement by the Boy Scouts of America protected the organization, it protected their reputation, and it left Boy Scouts vulnerable to Jack's continued abuse. Jack was removed from the Boy Scouts after the Doug Hogan case, but that wasn't the end of the story. The ways that he was able to continue his abuse highlighted the policies of the Boy Scouts of America that permitted him to keep spending time with Scouts. Jack, while he was officially kicked out of the Boy Scouts, remained involved with the troop, even to the point of going to the Boy Scouts Crown Jewel location in New Mexico for a weeks-long camping trip. To do so, he signed in under a fake name. He used the name Joe Stocks. He's father. There's no ID check required by the Boy Scouts for volunteers to work with the organization. So they should have known because Walls had been there many times before to this location at Philmont. But a simple ID check would have stopped that. And while he was at Philmont, he raped Boy Scouts. After Heath went to prison, another boy, Wade Knox, Jack's nephew, revealed the truth in a dramatic confrontation with his own parents. This is Wade's mother, Karen Knox, Jack's sister-in-law. He took a gun out of our safe and brought Jack to us at gunpoint. He still had the gun to do at Jack's head, and he said, now you tell my mom and my dad what you've done to me all of my life. And Jack said he saw the truth. I looked at that man, and I didn't even know him. He looked like the, he looked like evil. Jack was found guilty in 1998 on six counts of raping a minor. He was sentenced to life in prison. Meanwhile, Heath was still in prison, but it came out that he was one of the boys who'd been abused. So Heath has now requested that his sentence be reconsidered under these new facts because Jack did plead guilty to raping Boy Scouts, although in the case of Heath Stocks, he pled no contest rather than guilty. Speculation is that if he were to plead guilty on raping Heath Stocks, then he could be implicated in the murders and Jack could face the death penalty at that point. So Heath is now saying, as a boy, he was abused and raped by this man who led him to kill his family to cover up those abuses, that that should be reconsidered. So he put a commutation request in with the state of Arkansas. That was pending at the time that we did the film Scoutmaster and that we interviewed Heath and that we wrote back and forth with Jack. That request has since been denied. Josh wanted to interview Jack Walls for the film, but he declined to be interviewed. Instead, he sent Josh several letters from prison accusing Heath of changing his story and denying any involvement in the murders of the Stock family. After the break more on the policies that attract those seeking to abuse young boys to the Boy Scouts of America. 
Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. In the Fault Lines film Scoutmaster, Josh Rushing investigated the policies that have led people like Jack Walls to be able to carry out abuse. We were able to gain access to the only whistleblower to ever come out of the Boy Scouts of America. And he wasn't just anybody who happened to work there. He was the only person to ever hold the position of Director of Youth Safety. That man was Michael Johnson. Michael spoke publicly about the organization's failures in dealing with sexual abuse in scouting. During his time at the Boy Scouts of America, Michael tried to implement a policy that would require all volunteers to register with a government photo ID, the same policy that allowed Jack Walls to continue working with the Scouts after he was kicked out. But the Boy Scouts, according to Mike, resisted that because they're worried about not getting enough volunteers for the organization. I was told that it would be onerous on getting volunteers to participate in scouting to ask them to show an ID. There's another rule called the 72-hour rule, and it, it says that parents or anyone really can volunteer with the scouts for up to 72 hours before they have to even register in the scout system, even provide any information at, at all. And it's unclear if 72 hours is an hour a week for 10 weeks and then going on a 48-hour camping trip. That's only 58 hours. They don't even have to put their name into a system to do that. Any organization that is responsible for youth safety, all the safety experts that we spoke to said you, you have to have transparency and you have to know who, who you're dealing with. Michael Johnson also says he tried to change this rule. Every adult who's going to volunteer with the Scouts needs to be registered. They just need to know who they are, who they're allowing to be around these children. Josh sat down and interviewed James Turley, a former president and national board member of the Boy Scouts of America, to discuss these policies and the class action lawsuit against the organization. It was not an easy interview to get. It took months and months of vetting. Uh, we had to speak to the chief legal counsel of the organization. There were a number of journalists at that time who were trying to get an interview with them, and the Boy Scouts just weren't talking about this. And for whatever reason, they chose to speak to us and give us this exclusive interview. When we sat down with Mr. Turley, he he was very sympathetic. He, he offered a lot of sympathy for victims, but when we wanted to talk about actual policies, he had very little to say. We have extreme focus on protecting our youth. And if we have policies that need strengthening, we'd like to hear about it. He didn't want to talk about the 72-hour rule. He didn't want to talk about the Boy Scouts of America lobbying at the state level for laws to not be opened up that allowed this lawsuit to happen while at the same time acknowledging victims. He didn't really want to talk about any of the details. He actually said he was not aware of the 72-hour rule, which is beyond belief. It's one of the, the key principles. It's on their website. And the fact that he said he, he was unaware of it it's either beyond belief or it's terribly irresponsible that your leadership doesn't know about some of the key principles that the organization has said that they have in place to protect the children. And ultimately, 
the Boy Scouts ended up uh, ending that interview early and escorting us off of the property. Even now, the 72-hour rule remains on the Boy Scouts of America website. However, an amendment was added stating that from now on, two registered adult leaders 21 years of age or over are required to be present at all scouting activities, including all meetings. This policy will be effective from September 1, 2023. Michael Johnson, to his credit, has gone to Washington, D.C. and given a press conference at the National Press Club requesting Congress hold hearings on this and that he'll be the first witness under oath to say what he knows about this. As for the class action lawsuit, it's been settled, but that's just the first step. The settlement is in, um, it's over $2 billion, approaching $3 billion. Uh, That hasn't been paid out yet. The details of that are still being figured out as we move forward. But in terms of the actual rules that we were looking at that experts like Michael Johnson say give pedophiles the opportunity to do what Jack Walls did, we haven't seen much change. As a former scout himself, and as the father of four boys and a girl, Josh has had a lot to digest. When the scandal first broke, and in uncovering the story of Lone Oak's abuse in his reporting. Whether you trust the Boy Scouts of America to protect your children, I think that's an open question. I think scouting is a great thing. I think teaching kids to camp, to hike, to appreciate nature, I think the values of being honest and kind and trustworthy are noble. I would, without hesitation, when my children get them involved in activities of scouting, but I would be present for all of those activities. Trusting the organization of the Boy Scouts of America to say that the volunteers who they're allowing around the children have been vetted and can be trusted is just as a parent, not something that I that, that I would do. It's just for that model to move forward, business needs to happen differently and it needs to involve parents a lot more than it has in the past. It needs to rely on parents a lot more than just on trusting the organization and the brand, the Boy Scouts of America. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Khalid Sultan and me, Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal. With Miranda Lynn, Nagin Oliai, Faranisa Campana, Amy Walters, David Enders, Sonia Bagat, Chloe K. Lee, and Ashish Malhotra. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.